Good afternoon. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Esther chapter 1. And also then, slip a little bookmark or ribbon there, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And if you happen to have your family Bible reading and pick those up already, we're actually going to look at one of the questions, or actually a few of the questions, um, that are there on pages 4 and 5. I submit to you this question. Is there a difference between what the Holy Spirit of God inspired the Apostle Paul to write in Ephesians 5, 18 through 6, 4, and what Mimucan inspired King Ahasuerus to decree in Esther chapter 1? If so, what? Now, if we're going to actually answer this question, we're going to have to actually read the passages, aren't we? So look with me and follow along as we read Esther. Esther chapter 1, verse 10. And on the seventh day, the seventh day of a seven-day feast that followed a 180-day feast, on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mamukim, Bizatha, Harbana, Bigtha, and Abiktha, and Zephar, and Carcass, the seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Ahasuerus the king. He commanded them to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the crown royal to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to look upon. But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth, and his anger burned in him. And then the king said to the wise men, which knew the times, for so was the king's manner toward all that knew the law and judgment. And the next to him were these seven princes of Persia and Media, which saw the king's face and which sat first in the kingdom. What shall we do unto Queen Vashti according to the law? Because she hath not performed the commandment of the king Ahasuerus by the chamberlains. And Mamukin answered before the king and the princess, Vashti, the queen, hath not done wrong to the king only, but also to all the princes and to all the people that are in all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus. For this deed of the queen shall come abroad unto all women, so that they shall despise their husbands in their eyes, when it shall be reported, the king Ahasuerus commanded Vashti the queen to be brought in before him, but she came not. Likewise shall the ladies of Persia and Media say this day unto all the king's princes, which have heard of the deed of the queen. Thus there shall arise too much contempt and wrath, if it please the king. Let there go a royal command from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, that it be not altered, that Vashti come no more before the king Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. And when the king's decree, which he shall make, 
shall be published throughout all his empire, for it is great. All the wives shall give to their husbands honor, both to the great and the small. And the saying pleased the king and the princes. And the king did according to the word of Amukin. For he sent letters into all the king's provinces, into every province according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language, that every man should bear rule in his own house, and that it should be published according to the language of every people. Now, there is a chapter division here, but I think it behooves us to read a little bit further. After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, Let there be fair young virgins sought for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom that they may gather together all the fair young virgins unto Shushan the palace, to the house of the women, unto the custody of Hega, the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women, and let their things for purification be given to them. And let the maiden which pleaseth the king be queen instead of Vashti. And the thing pleased the king, and he did so. So here's the question I propose to you. Is there a difference between what the Holy Spirit of God inspired the Apostle Paul to write in Ephesians 5 through 6-4 and what Mamukan inspired King Ahasuerus to decree in Esther 1? Well, in order for us to find out, we need to go over to Ephesians chapter 5 and look. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Just so none of you are surprised, for a wee moment, I'm going to play the devil's advocate. Look with me at verse 22. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Settled. Paul agrees with them, you can. Or does he? You see, if I take those few little words and lift them out of Ephesians chapter 5 and I put them on a banner and I start waving them around or I try putting them into decrees and laws, I'm vilely guilty of missing the point of Ephesians 5. Now, it's kind of interesting in my Bible. Many, many years ago, and boy, I'll tell you, time is flying by fast. I had one of my little people in my house who shall remain nameless, got a hold of my Bible. And you know what she did? She ripped this page right out of my Bible in Ephesians chapter 5. Well, you know, here's what's kind of sad. There are some people who kind of sort of do that, just not necessarily literally. You know, we can't rip verse 22 out either way. We can't rip it out because we don't like it, and we can't rip it out because we like it. We need to leave it right where it's at. And you know what's very important for us to do? 
is to look at what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write before this command and after this command. Just as a statement, so you do not misunderstand me. Let me back out of the devil's advocate. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22 stands as a command. It is a command of God. People struggle with it. Perhaps you struggle with it. That doesn't matter. It's what God has said. And we must believe it, and it must be obeyed. Nonetheless, the context of this is extremely important. You see, the reason why the context is so extremely important is because the truth is, is that society and culture actually hasn't really had much of a problem with what I just read. You say, well, modern American culture does. Actually, it doesn't. No matter how much people don't like this, men, simply for their physical strength, typically still rule over their wives. Problematically so. That's the reason why this verse is so vilely ridiculed, is because sinful, wicked man apply it and use it to justify evil things. This is not given here to justify evil things. And when we see it in context and we understand it in context, it is very important. Now, did you see all what happened here? Lemieux can, well, before we get into that, let's actually read the passage. Can we do that? Read the passage. And as I always tell you, I don't know where to start. Because as I keep reading through Ephesians, I keep going, oh boy, Ahasuerus needed that, and Ahasuerus needed that. Oh boy, Ahasuerus needed that. I sure do. I sure need that. And so did Ahasuerus. And let me tell you something, as I think about that, and I kind of looked at it from Ahasuerus' perspective, in some ways my heart broke, because Ahasuerus didn't have this. You and I do. So what do we do with it? There's so much that we need in all of this. I mean, just to set it all in perspective, this letter is written to Christians. This is letter written to the children of God. Us who have been predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Boy, Ahasuerus had an awful lot of problems being accepted, didn't he? Hmm. So often we do weird things because we don't feel accepted. Well, when we're in Christ Jesus, we're accepted in the beloved. And that's the reason why in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 1, it says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Hmm. Mimucan, did he teach this? Let me read Ephesians chapter 5. And I'd like to read just a few verses. I hate to jump around, but we don't really have a lot of time this afternoon. So really, I encourage you, take another one of your nights this week in family Bible t- devotions and read the book of Ephesians together in light of, in light of Esther. But here it says in chapter 4 and verse 30, 
and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness and all covetousness, let it not once be named among you as become a saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient but rather giving of thanks. And again, I don't know where to skip, but let's skip for sake of time to verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, that they too may be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So, is there a difference between what the Holy Spirit of God inspired the Apostle Paul to write in Ephesians chapters 5 and 6 and what Mamukan inspired, quote-unquote, King Ahasuerus to decree in Esther chapter 1? I submit to you that they are vastly different. Vastly different. Yes, there are similarities, but they are vastly different. How? In what ways? Let's look at Mimucan for a little while. Mimucan, why is this decree going forth? Because we got to prove to all the princes and everybody that we's in charge. Is that the spirit of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5? No. 
So you see, in a sense, the words themselves are very similar. In fact, the words of the decree themselves actually do parallel. But there is a difference between what is in Ephesians 5 and what is in Esther 1 in the heart. Do you follow it? See, yes, God is concerned about the outward order. This is what Ephesians 5 does teach, is that the husband is the head of the wife, and that the wife is to submit to the husband, and as we find in other places, just as the husband is to submit to Christ, it is an order. All are, husband and wife are both equal. They're both in the image of God. They're both very important. And to be perfectly blunt, men don't have a hard time with this ruling over. It's something that if we actually go back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, it was a part of the curse. Now, there's two ways of looking at that in, in Genesis chapter 3, where God said to the woman that your desire shall be to thy husband, but he shall rule over thee. Now, some have said, well, this is a prescription of a command. I don't actually think it is a prescription of a command. Yes, it is a prescription of what is the order to a degree, but it's actually a description of what's so sad in the broken of the order. The order is for the husband to be head and that the wife does submit to her husband. Do you see how beautiful that would be if there would be no sin? If the husband always did what was right, always did what was best for his wife, always loved her with perfection, do you see why God said to Eve, that the woman's desire would be to her husband. She desires the husband of the Adam before the fall. Can I put it in another perspective that you all might understand? She desires a husband like Jesus. Would, you, would Jesus abuse his wife? No, he surely doesn't. Does Jesus overbearing destroy his wife? No, he doesn't. Does he abuse his authority? No, these are blasphemies. Christ loves his church. He is the prime example of this. And so, when we look at all of this, it is very important that we do acknowledge the order. God has established the order of headship. And we don't have time to go into all of it this afternoon to exegete it. It takes us lots of sermons to go through all of Ephesians chapter, seven, chapter 5 and 6. But the gist of it is, is that the headship is a needed function in order. But it can be vulnerable to abuse. And we have to be aware of that as husbands. And what's going on back in Esther is we're seeing a group of men who are abusing what's God's ordained order. How did that happen? It comes to another question that we asked and the question of whether or not Vashti was right to disobey the commandment of Ahasuerus. This is a hard question to answer. I'm not entirely sure we really can answer it. Do you know why? Because none of us were there. None of us were involved. And none of us exactly know what's going on. We got some pretty strong hit, hints that Ahasuerus is way out of line. He's married with wine. He, if you read it, and you just read it literally, it's really disturbing, actually. Like, I don't even want to explain it. It's disturbing. 
And, and what's put there is, is very troublesome. And the question is, okay, is he looking for his wife to come along to say, look, everybody, I have such a beautiful wife. I mean, you know, what husband doesn't want to say to the world, I have a beautiful wife? Now, that's a legitimate question in some ways. It's perfectly appropriate to say, oh, I have such a beautiful wife. Hmm. Is that really what Ahasuerus was doing? Don't think so. That's the reason why I have trouble with the one story that says, make me a sandwich. This is not a make a sandwich question. If she was supposed to make him a sandwich, this would be a settled conversation. Just make the guy a sandwich. Even if he's drunk and stupid, just make him a sandwich. But that's not what he was really asking. And considering also Proverbs and things, as we touched on a little bit this morning, what was he asking her to do? If you notice in your family Bible readings, when I say, what was it the king of Hazuarius commanded her to do? It's a meat level question. Because there's a basic milk level question, but it's really more difficult to understand what exactly he was asking her to do, considering the fact that he was drunk. And we know from Proverbs 23 that drunk people from their hearts utter perverse things. So I'll put it this way. If what he was asking her to do was lewd and perverse, then she was absolutely right to refuse his command. If it was just come to the party, don't know. I think it's more this direction, though, especially if you continue to read what all they did, okay? We're not talking about some moral upright guy here. I mean, do you see what the solution is later? Let's go kidnap all the virgins in the land and you can pick out a new one. This guy's messed up on the inside. So it's, I lean in this direction. I can't say authoritatively because it's not all there, but I, I lean in that direction. Why do I lean though? Is that right? Because here's some of what's in play here. In Ephesians 5 even, it says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband. Note this phrase, as unto the Lord. Oh. Now that goes two ways. One is, is that submit like you would submit to the Lord. But it also carries the significance that if your husband is telling you to do something that violates what God has said to do, then you submit first and foremost to God. You submit first and foremost to God. That's what the strategy is. And that is also continued to be laid down here later on as a qualification of the obey, where it says in verse 24, so let the wives be in subjection to their own husbands in everything, that everything still has the qualifier of in the fear of God, which is also oftentimes people miss verse 21. Ahasuerus and his princes, I think, jumped to verse 22. Of course, they didn't have this, did they? But they would jump to verse 22, the first part of it, and skip verse 21. Do you see verse 21? Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Did you know in the marriage relationship, there's also mutual submission? Some people think that because it says, wives submit to your husband, that the husband gets his way every time. That's not true. Really, husbands, the times when we need to be, if we can say it, invoking this authority is in the really important, significant issues in life. And newsflash, most of the things in our daily lives my wife, where'd she go? She's not here. She's far better than I am and a whole lot smarter than I am. And I want to hear her ideas and I want to go with most of her ideas. I think that's true for a lot of families. Not always, not always, but there's an important way in which we have a submission to God first and foremost and the submission to one another. Now, it's interesting, you can, you know, I use the whiny voice. Did you catch that? You know, maybe he had a wife that was like that. 
You know, this truth is for that. You know, don't, don't, don't throw out what God has said is true. Wives, you can't throw it out. Even if your husband's unreasonable, you can't throw it out. But yet, in all of it, still recognize the question, is it right before God? There's the stop all. There's other questions we could debate, but that one you can't debate. If it's wrong before God, it's wrong. Fact. And it's very important to recognize that. So let's for a moment imagine that there is time travel. I know some of you just get freaked out. It's okay. And let's imagine that Ahasuerus had Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. What could have, should have, his decree looked like if he had been confronted by Nathan the prophet or Paul, Paul the apostle or Daniel the prophet with the truths of Ephesians 5? What might his proclamation have looked like? we'll just for a moment blur the distinctions of Old Testament and New Testament again for a moment to help us to understand and to apply, okay? Ahasuerus issues a decree. I, King Ahasuerus, grieved the Holy Spirit of God. Think that'd be fair? I let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and malice consume me. As we learned in Proverbs this morning, I did not rule over my own spirit. I was quick to anger. I banished my high queen rather than show her kindness and tender-heartedness. I was not following God. I was following my selfish pride. I was not walking in love. I was walking in self-conceit. God says to be not drunk with wine. I was drunk with wine. God has said that out of a drunkard's heart proceeds perverse things. Out of my drunken heart proceeded perverse things. I did not love my wife. I did not seek to present her holy and without blemish. Glorious, not having spot or wrinkle. I rather wanted to present her in my carnality, in my debauchery, in my perverseness. I did not love her as my own body. I did not nourish her nor care for her. I ruled over her in perverseness. 
I'm the one who set a bad example for the husbands all across the empire. God has ordained that husbands be the head of their wives, not the monsters of their wives. To be their head in loving and cherishing and caring for them. And I have failed. And so I beseech all peoples and all parts of the kingdom to be filled with the Spirit of God, to love your wives, submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And we could keep right on going. Do you see the difference? There is a difference. Paul's teaching here is entirely different than what Mamukan had. Mamukan's was, we're going to have a whole bunch of really troublemakers in our homes, and that may be a problem. So, you wives, we decree, submit. Do you notice how Paul said it? Submit yourselves. Wives, you have a choice. It's command but it's a choice you make. It's not something that someone else forces you to make. You have to make it. And husbands, we got to remember that. It is, a, it is a voluntary action on the part of a wife. It is commanded. It is a command. We can't miss that point. And sometimes we get to be like Mamukan because there are some women who wine like Mamukin described. And trouble costs trouble. And don't be like that either. There is a need here for us all to be filled with the Spirit. Husbands and wives, we are one flesh. Ahasuerus proved that he really didn't have a right perspective of, muse, of, of, of marriage and did not have a right perspective of the husband-wife relationship, so did Mamukin. Because as soon as he issues this decree, he goes right on, ignoring the fact that he just put away his wife and goes and does this, I don't even know what to call it in summary, to get a new high queen. He's clearly all messed up on the inside. That's the reason why it is very different. What Mamukan and the reasons why Mamukan is issuing it is different from what Paul and the reasons why the Holy Spirit had Paul write what he did here in Ephesians chapter 5. Let me repeat. The command of God for wives and submission is there. You can't take it out. But be sure that as you consider that, Look to what the duty of the husband is. Look to the verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And oh my, don't forget verse 18. And be not drunk with wine. Don't get hung up on that. Whatever you're drunk with, we're in his excess. Focus on this. But be filled with the Spirit. There is the focus Mumukan Hasuerus issued a decree with no spirit. It's broken. It's prone to abuse. In fact, it fosters abuse. 
fact, it created abuse. But when you take it in the proper order and in the context of what a husband is supposed to be and how he is supposed to be the head, it then becomes a pleasure, a joy. In fact, take Genesis chapter 3 back into it. The woman can desire her husband, and it's a pleasure for the submission to take place. But if he's a monster, it's not. And you put, we put our wives in unbearable positions. Let us not put our wives in some situation where they're having to decide whether or not they're supposed to obey their husband or obey God. This is important. But it also has to be kept in the context of the whole passage. And again, all of Ephesians chapter 5, I just glossed over it in the whole book of Ephesians. All of it is so relevant in this question of the marriage. I often tell newlyweds and anyone in questions of marriage counseling, we all need marriage counseling, by the way. Don't think that's something the only people that have problems need. We all need it. Read Ephesians 5 and talk about every single part and how it relates to your marriage. Don't jump to verse 22 or to verse 33 and leave it at that. All of this is important balancing truths. There is the key word, balancing truths. And so it is as blunt as can be, verse 33 in summary. Nevertheless, in spite of all this balancing truth, it's presented very clearly in these simple statements. Let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife, see that she reverence her husband. Does that help? I wonder, are there any questions? I may not have the answers, but is there a question? Any questions? Link. Yes. First Peter 3 is very relevant as well. Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. You want a little, another little tidbit from history? It's not in the Bible. If indeed the chronology of Esther <clears throat> places the king Ahasuerus as Xerxes I, then that means that right at this precise time, Vashti was eight months pregnant with Artaxerxes. Does that sound like a husband? Even if he just wanted her to come all decked out in her royal garments to show everybody how beautiful she was, like his trophy wife, you know, on his arm. I don't think he was dwelling with her according to knowledge if it's actually the same chronology point and she's eight months pregnant. That make sense? Husbands, be aware of this thing. This idea, the trophy wife, you know, that's not new. It's been around for a long time. And be really careful with it. Don't ask your wife to do things or to go with you or to dress certain ways because you want to show her off. It, it's something that 
you got to be careful with. There's been a lot of women who have been, who, who say that their husbands have asked them to wear things that they're not comfortable wearing. Mm. It's one thing when it is in the intimacy of marriage. It's a whole other thing when it's outside of the intimacy of marriage. There's another little piece of what's here. It's maybe a little further than I should have gone. But dwell according to knowledge. Any other questions, comments? I had a little comment come this week, last week, that was very insightful. And it actually shocked me because it actually came from a child. And it may trouble some of you. But I asked the question of a group of children. And um, one of the children said, ah, the question was this. Was Vashti right to disobey the command of her king and husband? That's the question. You know what the answer was? Of course she was. Why? Why of course? Well, she didn't want the same thing happening to her that happened to the Levite's concubine. That may be a little more information than you wanted too. But this child had a point. Right? If that was what the party was, yeah, that would have been a problem. You say, oh, no husband would do that. <laughs> that one did. We don't even like to talk about that history. People just ignore it. They delete it. Other questions, other comments? Brothers and sisters, this is a really hard question in our society because it is very, very common for people to just say, well, Paul's wrong. Paul was influenced by his chauvinistic society and culture, and Paul just wrote this culturally, and this is reflecting his modern culture. No, we can't say that. The Holy Spirit of God inspired Paul to write this, and it's very important. We cannot delete this. But also, we have to be very careful. I, I've in the past shared with you illustrations I've heard of some preachers who are like, this is you know, who have, who have submitted to their congregations, and I don't even want to repeat it lest you think I'm teaching it because I'm not. It's just so you know what, what I'm about to say is blasphemy. It is heresy. It is false. But a preacher one time I heard of my own ears say that I don't care if your husband tells you to get down on the floor and be a, boor, a doormat. You get down on the floor and be a doormat. That's blasphemy. That's heresy. Absolute heresy. The whole point of this is the model of the picture of Christ in the church, and Christ never does that. Christ is the one who gives himself. He's the one who was beaten and scourged and tortured for us and to save us. So that kind of teaching is absolute blasphemy. And it needs to be called out. You hear a husband or somebody making jokes like that, you call it out. It is, it is the reason why people want to rip this out of the Bible. We've got to stop that from happening. Sorry, I'm getting a little intense. Brother Ray. Because it's easy because your husband is the limited God. 
Amen. 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 Thank you. Profound. Did you catch the sermon there from Mrs. Telosa? She's got this here. You heard, you caught that part. It's easy to submit to your husband when he's submitted to God. There's, there, you just summed it all up. Amen. Other thoughts, comments, questions? Well, I encourage you to take this and um, continue the conversation, please, among yourselves and among your family. And, and think through and consider some modern situations. It's very hard in a group like this to go into some of the specifics we need to go into. But in your different families and your different couple relationships, you can discern details and specifics, and you can learn things that you've seen in your own experiences, your own failures, those of your family. I mean, don't gossip, but even learn from those around you like your extended family and others in the, in the church and in the world and in the workplace. Um, one of the greatest values I had growing up was my dad working in a factory and dinner table at night was to talk about, not everything, but to kind of talk about what different people were dealing with at work and to analyze it. it you know one reason I never had any interest in, 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 in even touching alcohol? Because huh. I heard too many stories about people getting hurt, killed, or, or losing their job over it. I mean, and that's not even counting the Bible parts. Um, these are things that we can come and we share together. That time of sharing as a family is so very important. Just as a note, what I just now illustrated to you has to be reinforced in the scriptures. You know, that's part of the reason why I've given you some cross-references in this to help you to say, you know, we don't just say alcohol and drunkenness is wrong because you lose your job and because you this and this and this. That's not why it's a problem. It's because what God has said about it. A lot of this other stuff, it's about what God says, and we got to always be coming back to this. 
but you can take in the applications of life. Those experiences can then be brought back to and say, what does the Bible say about this? I've never touched tobacco. You know why? Because when I was a littlest kid, I met a guy who had no teeth. Truly. But yet, now then the scriptures come forth and all of that. And, um, and just so you know, that guy who has no teeth, he'll tell you never to touch out your tobacco either. He's a very sweet Christian man. Um, but yet, he carries those scars. Um, <clears throat> but... Uh, Anything else? All right. Mr. Dinsmore, would you lead us in prayer as we close this afternoon, please?